Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Morning, I want to just have one or two quick things to kind of impress upon you. One is just a Thanksgiving appreciation. Um, We originally, our landscaping of decades past was really, really nice. Um, And then it grew and it got out of control. And it has obscured the windows and the building for, for years and years and years. Um, we used to go, uh, I used to go to one of the offices there, uh, Jake's current office, and I'd look out the window, I could see my car, and I could remote start it. I stopped doing it years ago because it was so covered with trees, I couldn't see what was going on out there. Well, a couple of our guys, uh, as an outgrowth of the current men's ministry, um, began to get together, and Dwayne Stafford, under the leadership of Dwayne Stafford and John Lindner, and that gang uh, managed to chop down a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know if you can see that to the right there, but that's just a portion of the trimming they did. And so for the first time, we can see out the windows again. You can see the building. One of our guys who's perpetually kept his window closed, one of our pastors, opened the window, and the sunlight blinded him, okay, as it came inside. And so appreciation for that, and you can take notice of that as you leave today. Um, We have a membership class coming up. If you wish to participate and be a part of the congregation as a member, there's a registration email that was sent out this last week. If you didn't get it, check at the welcome desk. Um, The online portion has to be completed prior to uh, November 10, and then in person, we'll be gathering uh, on Sunday, the 14th of November, and there's a lunch included on that. Um, Baptism, if you've not been baptized, we just talked about child dedication, Um, but baptism is something that uh, is ordained uh, by Christ for us. And so on Thanksgiving Sunday, a great time to give thanks and to be baptized, the 28th of November. We're going to be offering baptism in both of those services. There's a registration online. There's a mandatory meeting on Sunday, November 7th, and lunch is included in that as well, too. So if you'll take note of that. A lot of other stuff happening. That's just a snapshot. We have been in a series that has been extending for some time and will continue to extend for some time, the challenge of a biblical worldview. It is a personal um, series in the sense that uh, I'm challenging each one of us and myself, do we even have a biblical worldview? And then if you do have a biblical worldview, then realize that you will, in fact, be challenged. And this morning, um, as we continue in this series, uh, this is now going to begin a subset of three within this today uh, with what does it mean to be human? Next week, uh, to be a man and the following week to be a woman. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king, no authority that was recognized. Everyone did as they saw fit. Uh, If we could pray for a moment. Father, we come before you truly in humility. I ask, Lord, that you'd grant grace to my words. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate your word. I pray that you address our heart, our minds, and that our very spirit would resonate with your word. Guide us in this today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
This conversation today is one of those conversations where um, I need you to really hear the entire message. Don't make assumptions, please, as we go through it. Have the respect to hear it all out. It's also one of those messages that um, I'm going to ask that you not respond to. I'm not interested in amens or hallelujahs or shouting or screaming one way or the other. What we're trying to address in this series has been the fact that studies have shown that 51% of this country identify as Christian, but only 6% have a biblical worldview. That's a serious issue, that only 6% of this country, even though a significant portion say they're Christian, have actually a biblical worldview. We borrow from other ideas. We discard those things that are uncomfortable to us. And so we're attempting to take this apart here a little bit today. The conversation we're going to have today is one that you have been heavily propagandized against. The conversation we're going to have today is something that was um, a simple, accepted, common sense thing throughout all of human history, but today is being viewed as hate speech or bigotry if you even attempt to have the conversation about it, even if your heart is as gentle as can be, which is what we strive to do here today. What does it mean to be human? The discussion in part today, but only in part, deals with the issue of gender fluidity and transgenderism. And inevitably, someone will take this and will probably say that my comments are that if you don't follow a strict biblical formula, that you're not a human being. And that's not at all what's being said. So please hear this whole conversation. I say you've been propagandized for a number of reasons, and the church particularly. If you were to go to Google and search, as I did, um, scriptures related to uh, gender, the very first thing that comes up is a paper being offered by the Human Rights Campaign, a very radical uh, LGBT uh, organization, and the paper is, what does the Bible say about transgenderism? And it attempts to take some of the very scriptures we're talking today and then makes radical assumptions surrounding those it completely mishandles the Bible, it's, but it is a, 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 a distinct attempt to influence specifically those who claim themselves to be Christians and to use Scripture in regards to that. Again, it's a fallacious use of it, but it's what's being attempted to be done. For the first time in all of history, a conversation about this is off the plate. J.K. Rowling attempted to stay, the woman who uh, was the writer of the Harry Potter series, just stay and look at it. I'm supportive of trans, I'm doing all these things. But the reality is gender matters. Uh, a person who becomes from a man to a woman is still not a woman in the sense of the word. Dave Chappelle, the comedian, went into this recently with his recent special, The Closer. And in this, he made a variety of jokes, as he does, about different groups, but including trans. At one point, he made the statement, gender is real and was attacked for making that statement. Um, he made a number of other things, uh, including, um, well, we won't go into all what, what Chappelle got into, but he has been uh, pretty much ragged over that because of it. You have someone like a Rachel Dolezal, a woman out west who was white who claimed to be black. And the backlash against that was tremendous. You can't be black, you are white, and how dare you assume to take on our identity and understand what we deal with when you have not had that from birth, you do not have that as part of your identity. 
There is a recent gentleman in, uh, who's a rapper, I think it is, in Britain, a white man who has had 18 surgeries to look like uh, one of the uh, uh, pop singers of a South Korean band. And he has celebrated the fact that he has now become South Korean. He is now Korean. He identifies as Korean. He is Korean. And yet I suspect the vast majority of Koreans would disagree with that. But when it comes to the idea of gender, we are now not just in a postmodern world, where in the modern world we viewed science as a way of processing things, we're not just in a postmodern. we're not just in a post-truth where at one time truth was viewed as objective and outside ourselves. We are now for the first time, in language I read the other day, in a post-binary world. And so we have evolved and we have developed in such a way that the concepts or identity of male and female don't really exist in this, that we determine things. And so if you refer to somebody by their previous or biological gender after they've transitioned, you are misgendering them, which is bordering on a crime at this point. If you use their previous name, now that they've changed names, you are now deadnaming them. If you refuse to use pronouns that reflect the new uh, paradigm that they're exhibiting, then you are hateful in what you do. I'll be clear in this point in time. I have no problem addressing someone by a different name. People choose their names, that's what it is. But when it comes to addressing gender, when it comes to using pronouns, then we're dealing with a transition of reality and a challenge to what is true, and that becomes a problem. There are three professors I know of that are in the uh, um, academic realm who held to this viewpoint. I don't know if they were Christian or not. Um, and so they respectfully addressed the individuals in their class but would not use pronouns or the gender statements. Each case they were disciplined, uh, one or two cases removed from their positions, um, but then were reinstated uh, or vindicated uh, on free speech grounds. Um, what we're dealing with, uh, and I want to be clear, my purpose here today is not to be provocative, nor is it in any way to be attacking or hateful. My responsibility is to present to you a biblical worldview not just one that is local to a Christian sect or, or, or a group, but one that is historically uh, aligned with orthodoxy, Catholicism, and Protestantism, that it is a biblical worldview. And we'll get into that as we go along. At the core of this is something that is referred to as gender dysphoria or a gender identity disorder. Gender dysphoria uh, generally exhibits uh, in mostly males ages four to five in that range or so. The overwhelming number of those individuals resolve that out if there's any degree of modeling or, or baseline established for them. A very small percentage in this country, uh, gay and lesbian, roughly around 3% of the population, transgender, 0.03%. Uh, um, it's a very small portion of that that don't resolve out. And so this is the, the baseline that has been there for about 100 years or so. Recently, what's been identified is something that Abigail Schreier, in her book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, she's a journalist. I don't know that she's a Christian. I doubt it. Um, she's very supportive of a lot of things that I, I wouldn't necessarily support as a Christian. But in this, she works off of a, another work that was done by a professor uh, and a doctor at Brown University, um, uh, Lisa Littman, and what Lisa found, and Schreier has also validated, 
is a massive change in how our culture is dealing with this. Again, four and five years old, mostly male. Now, teenage girls massively are transitioning, and they identified something uh, that they identified as rapid-onset gender dysphoria. When Littman, the Brown professor, put this paper together, um, what they found is that a lot of this was coming from social media, was heavily influenced by uh, social media and the connections that were happening with this. Side note, Facebook in the recent revelations is very conscious of the fact that they have created issues for young girls through Snapchat and everything else and have decided to go for the money instead. That's ongoing things that are before Congress and that you can read about if you read the five-part series on Wall Street Journal. Um, and so this, this social thing has become a type of... of uh, something that has become contagious in the same way that we can find cells of suicide and other things taking place. It's resulted in a 1,000% increase, particularly in, in girls transitioning, and 4,000 in the UK percent interest um, in this happening. Now, when Littman, the professor at Brown, filed this paper, she was immediately attacked over it. The paper was attacked. The university disavowed it in many ways. The article was reviewed and then corrected but it didn't change any of the baseline data. There were cosmetic elements, but the baseline data was the same, and it was still republished. And so the facts don't seem to be in challenge here. Um, as you go on to this, and you see this rapid change in what's happening, and incidentally, uh, Ms. Brown is no longer at, or Ms. Littman is no longer at Brown University. She lost her position um, over that. Um, the current view is that, you're, that gender is a social construct. Our argument as Christians would be say, no, it is a God construct. But our society is saying it's a social construct. So you're assigned something at birth, and your biology has nothing to do with it. You determine, you choose that. And increasingly, this is happening with children. And so we're seeing children... Um, that, are, are, that are, are having the dysphoria, that are being identified in this fashion, and then um, are being given the opportunity, because puberty can be such a traumatic event then in that case, to have puberty blockers, other testosterone, other things done in such a way to block and in some cases permanently disable um, their sexual function and any sensitivity in regards to that, and other surgery that's being done on children. This was something that um, there was a, a thing 11 years ago in 2010 with the Tyra Banks show where um, a Dr. Marcy Bowers, who was a man who now has the appearance of a woman, is trans, and does surgery on, for trans. In that setting, uh, aside to a Dr. Michael Brown, who's a professor and a minister, as they were discussing the whole issue of transgender and children, and he was saying how he wanted to help them in certain fashions, um, she kept touching him and saying, uh, he kept touching Brown actually and saying, um, trust the children, trust the children, love the children. He said, I'm trying to love the children, but you know, trust the children. And so Dr. Bowers was making the case that if a child just says this is what it is, that we should allow for all the transitioning should take place. That was 11 years ago. And so a number of kids went through that. This is another point you can look at is how many have detransitioned and the number is significant that have detransitioned but have done so with a lot of sorrow because they can't change their voices, 
back, they can't change certain parts of their fertility or other issues that are permanently done and gone. And talking with one of our uh, ENTs here, one of our ear, nose, and throat doctors, he says, oh, everything is, is, is uh, gender-related. Women have a different bone structure, have different ears, have a different uh, um, vocal cords, the whole deal. All of it's different. And so when someone transitions, all that changes over, and when they realize they've made a mistake or they regret that, it's, some of that just doesn't come back and is not returned. And there's a significant portion of those that have done that, but they're not talked about uh, a whole lot in the process. Back to Dr. Bowers, who had said 11 years ago, trust the children, trust the children. Now she's been in a conversation with Abigail Schreier, who published this um, book challenging a lot of the things with children and how it seems to be more of a social media or something to be avant-garde today, to be clever and sharp and cool. You have to be anything but male or female. And so Dr. Bowers today... Um, has said that, that it's not appropriate to use puberty blockers and has come out in the whole way of, of stopping that kind of action that she would have that he rather would have advocated for years back. But how many kids were damaged in that process using those things that seem wise to us but are counter to what we find in Scripture? Dr. Ryan Anderson wrote a book when Harry became Sally, responding to the transgender movement. Both his book and Schreier's were at one point banned by Amazon and limited until complaints came and they were reinstated. Again, not a Christian to my understanding at all. They're both coming from the position of science and the position of what they've uh, viewed in their interviews. His statement is, from his research is that sex reassignment doesn't work. That it's impossible to reassign someone's sex physically and attempting to do so doesn't produce good outcomes psychosocially. Medical evidence suggests that sex reassignment does not adequately address the psychosocial difficulties faced by people who identify as transgender. Even when the procedures are successfully or successful technically and cosmetically, and even in cultures, overseas and otherwise, that are relatively trans-friendly, transitioners still face poor outcomes. Dr. Paul McHugh, who since retired, was the University Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry at John Hopkins uh, University School of Medicine, one of the top in the, in the world. Um, was very much opposed to trans medicine because of that. And so Hopkins did not do this surgery until about two years ago, three years ago, they, with his retirement and under political pressure and financial, um, have now restarted this. But he had made this statement, transgendered men do not become women, nor do transgendered women become men. Um, All become feminized men or masculinized women. Counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they identify, and what lies their pro- and in that lies their problematic future. He goes on to say, when the tumult and shouting dies, it proves not easy nor wise to live in a counterfeit sexual garb. The most thorough follow-up of sex reassigned people, extending over 30 years and conducted in Sweden, with a culture strongly supportive of the transgendered, documents their lifelong mental unrest. 10 to 15 years after surgical reassignment, the suicide rate of those who had undergone sex reassignment surgery rose to 20 times that of comparable peers. And he points to the reality that um, because sex change is physically impossible, it frequently does not provide the long-term wholeness or happiness that people seek. There's a medical component to this. There are differences between men and women that in the medical sense need to be addressed. Women are more prone to one type of issue, men to another type of issue, and to ignore that is a serious issue in how we address that. 
And yet those who are trans are coming into medical facilities and insisting on being viewed as male when they're biologically female. And there's been problems with all that, including one woman who identifies as a man and comes in with an abdominal issue. And because she's insisting on being viewed as a man, it was too late to realize that she was actually pregnant and the child died, which shattered uh, the woman at that time as well, too. In addition to this, this new gender ideology movement is portrayed as a civil rights movement that seems virtuous and seems like the right thing to do. It's difficult to fight against something that's being marketed as a fight for human rights, and that's true. And so language is one of the first things that falls apart in this, and this is why I say referring to someone by a name that they choose, not an issue, but pronouns matter. Gender matters. Human nature is real, and we all share that, and that places a certain thing upon us, that we share moral responsibility and we are coming close to denying the universal truth that all of us are human beings that have a male and a female element to that. There's a philosopher named Joseph Piper and expressed uh, a view of how language is misused in an essay, The Abuse of Language and the Abuse of Power. Piper was saying that once language is detached from any greater reality, So once the language is detached from any greater reality, it can become a weapon in the hands of the powerful for the manipulation and abuse of others. And so the abolition of grammar just basically changes the authority of of the grammar itself and the reality that's there for something that others can use. So the battle over pronouns on social media and in public spaces, as trivial as it seems, is actually of great importance. The abandonment of reality that queer ideology demands may be marketed as nothing more than sensitivity towards the feeling of others, but in fact, it's imposing a view of the relationship between language and reality that makes the latter nothing more than a function of the former. And the reason is being pressed with such force is that it's a bit of power by those who deem any and all categories oppressive except those that they invent themselves. They hate reality, and they hate the God who made that reality, and the grammar and syntax by which it is described. And so as we examine those elements, and there is the possibility that there's a tipping point at this point in time, it's been said, because Chappelle's not being canceled. Rowling is not being canceled. And a lot of other individuals who are staying is. So this may be something that over time we'll look back on and say it was merely an expression of the moment. But how tragic for those who bought into that and transitioned or bought into that ideology to discover that Or it's very possible that it won't be discovered that way, that our world will continue to go over the edge on this issue, and that the confusion that this sweeps out not only shapes our relationships and only shapes our view of ourselves, but our understanding of our surroundings and our world, and that comes to the worldview. Jean-Paul Sartre was a French philosopher, an existentialist, and... um, he made the basic statement of the problem of philosophy. And it goes like this, that there is something instead of nothing. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why? Everything else in our life, he argued, flows from the answer to this question. If everything around us, including ourselves, is the result of random, meaningless occurrences apart from the work of a creating God, then it says something about who I am and where I and the whole universe are going. If that is the case, then the only dignity or honor we would bestow upon men is pure sentimentality because we don't have any more significance than an amoeba. And there's no greater law in the universe than the survival of the fittest. 
So if that's the answer to things, then it has no problem for me to transition or identify as any race or gender or being that I choose to do so. If I'm completely autonomous, if I'm a law unto myself, and I'm a humanist to the maximum degree that I determine what things are, and that's all of creation, then it doesn't matter. What does it mean to be human? We find what it means to be human when we go into the Scripture and look very much at the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The Father says to the Son, the Son of the Spirit, hey, let's make man in our image so that they may rule over the fish, the sea, and livestock, animals, creatures, etc. And in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female he created them. What does it mean to be human? It means that you are a being that was created, that you were desired and wanted, that there was a purpose for you, that you're not a random accident, but you are also not a law unto yourself, that there's an authority higher than us, that that authority made us, that that authority cares and loves us. Now, interestingly enough, the Human Rights Campaign uses this exact scripture to start off as to why they use the Bible to justify transgenderism. They can't really use the scripture. They use a lot of assumptions and things outside that. There are traps being laid for you all the time. And if you're not burrowing in, then you will be confused and lost in the process. We're in what is referred to as a post-binary world. But the scripture says from the beginning that to be human is to be binary. It's to be either male or female. That within that spectrum of being male, there is a spread within that. How I am a man may be different than how you are a man. How my wife is a woman may be different than how your wife or your friend is a woman. There's a spectrum within that, but it's still decidedly male and female. And only until this time period in our society, in all of history, must I, before I start the conversation, communicate to you specifically that I am a man and not someone who identifies as one way or the other. What it means to be human is found in our humanity. It's found in the very essence of being a woman or a man. But we're in a time period, as it was in Israel, where there was no authority. And everyone does as we see fit. I've referred to it increasingly in just this issue, but in a lot of other issues in our culture, as Invictus Gone Mad. Invictus was a poem written years ago. And when I was a child and I didn't understand it fully, I loved this poem. It talks about strength and standing against everything that's out there. No matter what happens, I won't give in. I'm going to... And I love that. Growing up in Flint, you needed that kind of thing, okay? But as I became a Christian further and further, and I understood, wait a minute, this is isolating and separate from God. What it's saying is that I stand alone by myself. And it closes this one, this, 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 this poem, by saying, it matters not how straight the gate how narrow, how charged with punishments they're going to lay on me, the scroll. How charged with punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I loved that when I was a kid. But I always put that in a Christian kind of, yeah, I'm the master, but always submitted to you, God, right? And I, I, I never understood how people take this passage or this, this, this poem and what it really meant. It's a rejection of God. It's a rejection of anything 
but ourselves, total autonomy. I decide, I choose. And in the core of my being, how I'm identified when it used to be, when you'd lift that baby up and slap it on the butt and say, welcome, you got a baby girl or a baby boy. Now it's like, no, we'll wait, trust the children. Let them decide what they're going to be as they get older. We're confused enough as children, and especially as adolescents. And so now the percentages that are trans and LGBT are, are already growing astronomically by thousands of percentages. And what we're requesting upon our children in this culture is a confusion and a hurt and a damage that many will bitterly regret at a later time only to find themselves not able to fully ever correct those items. What does it mean to be a human? To be one who is made in the image of God, loved, cared for, valued. We find Isaiah in the 15th chapter saying, for our fences are many in your sight, And our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil, they actually become a prey in the process. I have a uh, 2009 Pontiac G8 GT with 365 horsepower. I love this car. (laughs) It's the best car I've ever owned. The thing's retained its value. Uh, I just had 100,000 miles on it, and so I did the, took it in for, for some of the work on it to make sure it's all, you know, spark plugs replaced, all the other stuff that when they have electric cars that are boring, um, we'll never have to do. And, and it's, it's right back up to factory specs again. I love this car. It's a wonderful little car. Um, and I love restoring it. I love finding different parts, you know, to put it to make it keep working. I think there's something about restoring a vehicle that's kind of cool. A little pointless at the end because everything rusts. But there's something about restoring. And I think where I get that from is from God and what I see him when he's trying to restore parts in me or what he's trying to redeem and restore in others. I say, I love this car. And that is true. I know how it should be driven. I know what it needs to make it function. But God's love for us is so much radically deeper than that in that he knows the detail. He created us down to the molecule and down to the molecular level we are different as men and women. He knows us. He loves us. What does it mean to be human? The contrast is to be a human made in the image of God which means intrinsically trans, gay, straight, doesn't matter whether you're in the presence of God or absenting yourself, that you have intrinsic value and are to be respected as such that every human being intrinsically is valuable and that can't be taken away. It means that you're loved, that there's a purpose. It also means there's an authority, whether you accept it or not, that ordains reality. Contrasting that to the humanistic strive 
that is part of our culture today that says we are the end, we decide, we shape, and at our core we rebel on the deepest level that says, creator, you may have made me this way, but I will decide what it will be. And the rejection of that. Isaiah 53 talks about this. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That God chose to redeem us, chose to restore us, even in the midst of the loss, even in the midst of the rebellion, even in the midst of everything else that we have that pushes away God. Gender, we're told, is a social construct. But a biblical worldview says, no, it is a God construct that doesn't justify harm or hurt to anyone who holds an opposing view. In fact, made in the image of God, they're to be respected and regarded. But we're not in a post-binary world. We are in a world that is rooted in binaryism. What does it mean to be human? It means to be created. It means to be loved. It means to be valued. It means there's an authority whether we believe that or not. As we draw this to a close, there's just one or two more comments I have for you. One is simply this. There's a guy named Beckett Cook. Beckett was a gay man in Hollywood. He was evidently well-established, knew all the big guys, and he was a, 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 either a set designer, a, a, something of that nature. Beckett Cook uh, um, is in the midst of his homosexual lifestyle when someone invites him to a church, kind of on a dare. He goes to the church, has an encounter with God, and it radically changes his life. He wrote a book entitled A Change of Affection, a gay man's incredible story of redemption. Beckett Cook, on one of his recent podcasts or writings, um, when Ellen, uh, Ellen Page, the actress, had transitioned to Elliot Page, he wrote this, Love in a Fallen World. In no way do I want to minimize, and I agree with his writing here, in no way do I want to minimize the real suffering of those who experience gender dysphoria or who are trans and experience hateful attacks, sometimes even with violence. That is horrifically unjustified. On that one, I would allow for an amen. Amen. For these persons are made in the image of God. We should love and pray for them. The fundamental issue beneath the trans phenomenon is the fall of mankind. Because our primordial or original parents rebelled against God in the garden, we all suffer from distorted mind, will, and emotions. Our true identities in relationship with God were suddenly cut off. The only way back is through trusting in Jesus Christ. Reconciliation to God brings us back to our true, authentic self. Being in a right relationship with our maker is nothing less than what we were made for. And then he concludes with this way. All of us experience dysphoria between who we are and who God created us to be. The answer to resolving the dysphoria cannot be found by looking within yourself or to others for approval. It can only be found by uniting yourself to Christ. I've discovered this freeing truth in my own life. And I pray Elliot Page and others will someday too. Whether you are gay or straight, whether you are trans or dealing with someone that's in that process, you have to decide whether you have a biblical worldview or what your worldview is. If it's a humanistic one, then you can do whatever you want to whomever you want 
And there's no issue involved. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no eternal consequences. And you're no different than the amoeba that's rooting inside your health system right now. But if to be human beings means to be created, means that there's someone who knows how we function and what is best for us and is meant to be an authority in our lives, then everything changes. And our denial of that doesn't change the facts. Recently, as we were having this conversation, Jake gave me permission to share this. His wife, Amanda, was um, dealing with uh, one of their boys, small kids, for those who don't know. At one point in time, she was addressing one of the kids, and, and he misunderstood what she was meaning, but either way, it was a restriction that he was unwilling to accept. So he turned to her and with anger in his eyes said, I wish I was not your son. That's a painful thing for a mom to hear. Most of us have done that probably at one time or another. I was 10 when I said it to my mom. And um, I could see the hurt in her eyes. Amanda's an incredible woman, and so she handled it incredibly. She basically said, "Um, no matter what happens, I will still be your mother, and I love you. His statement of defiance and autonomy did not change in any way her role in his creation, her role in his life, or her love or her care, or really even her authority within that life. You think this conversation's been about transgenderism, and in part it has. But this goes deeper because there's a root of rebellion in every single one of us on one level or another that wants to do our own thing in our own way And to isolate and single off just those who are transitioning would be a a, a ridiculous thing to do. All of us process this. All of us yell out invictus. I am the captain. I decide. I choose. I don't want to be your son anymore. I don't want your authority. I don't want you challenging me. I don't want you telling me what to do. And on the other end of it stands God. And nothing we say or do changes the facts. And so this morning, I believe something that God would present to you through Jake, a song that he wrote from the perspective of God based on the experiences in his household. I will never leave 
written on my heart. You belong to me, and I know who you are. I'll tell you what is true, and open up my arms. No matter what you say, I know who you are. But if you come to me, I'll be waiting at the door. Bring me all your hurt, and I'll restore your soul. If you would come to me, won't you come to me? Then I'll be waiting there. change that. No act of rebellion, uh, no act of separation, no act of defiance stops his love and the fact that he created you. He knows what is best for you and the more we run from that, the more we damage ourselves. And the regrets, especially in this subject today, are so incredibly painful. But when we lean into God, gay, straight, whatever, we accept that we're not the rulers of our own souls. Then things come into focus. There is a peace. There is a resolution. 
ask if you'd stand and join us on this course one more time. You see me and you know me and you love me through and through. You see me and you know me and you love me through and through. Oh, you see me and you know me and you love me to this today and you have patiently um, tolerated my speech. You're not convinced. In fact, if anything, you, you find yourself um, maybe even angry and upset right now. I thank you for your patience. I thank you that you were kind enough to let the entire message be conveyed and I hope that at the core of it you understand the sincerity of it and the truth of it. So my question to you as a congregation still is this. Do you have a biblical worldview? When it comes to this issue and subject, that spells out so clearly, or has yours been shaped by the culture around you and your own feelings and desires? And if you have that biblical worldview, realize that you will be challenged on it. And how you respond back conveys the gospel, if it's angry, if it's violent, if it's ignorant, or is it graceful, is it kind, is it respectful of individuals made in the image of God? All of us, Lewis put down one time, are, are, are either moving towards becoming beings that are so incredible that if we saw them today, we'd be uh, tempted to bow down and view them as gods, or individuals so dark and so ugly that they would be the worst nightmare we can imagine. While we live, we make choices. And those choices determine our eternity. There'll be those available up forward here if you'd like to have prayer. Father, as we continue uh, in this series, I pray, God, you continue to guide us. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a discernment for the different ways of how our culture is responding and how we engage with that. And, Lord, those particularly who struggle with these specific issues, I pray a particular grace upon them, Lord. I just pray a particular grace upon them. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name.